All those who are holding tickets outside will get in as fast as they can. I'm speaking not to you, ladies and gentlemen, but I'm speaking to the crowd on the outside who seem to be standing rather reluctant to come in, and we're going to start this very soon. Welcome back to Worthy. I'm Ben. And I'm John. And on this episode, we're giving our final Oscar predictions for Oscar Sunday for the 95th Academy Awards happening on March 12, 2023, honoring the movies that came out during 2022. So we, I know we did like an early Oscar prediction, kind of like the year, you know, the end of 2022, just some early thoughts. And uh, but now we're going to give like our actual picks. This is what what we think is going to happen on Sunday. We, you know, based off of what we're seeing from other Guild Awards. What everyone else is predicting, these are our predictions, so take it for what it's worth. But uh, I would want to start out by just giving some like context and you know what we usually do for the Oscars when we talk about the Academy Awards in, in our regular episodes of Worthy. So the 95th Academy Awards ceremony, which is presented by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, will honor films released in 2022 and is scheduled to take place at the Dolby Theater in Los Angeles, California on March 12, 2023. So John... I know you got a really cool book recently called Oscar Wars. Can you tell the audience about that book and uh, like how much information, cool information that you're already getting from it. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's a new book called Oscar Wars by Michael Shulman. Never heard of the author, but he's a New York Times bestseller and I had to pick it up. I actually didn't pick it up. My lovely girlfriend got it for me. And they basically summarized the book as a history of Hollywood in gold, sweat and tears, essentially going over the biggest moments in the Oscar history kind of narrowing it down the overall history of those events and kind of how it changed the academy how the academy changed over time much like what we do here on worthy podcast like i said oscar wars is written by michael shulman and i just wanted to read a little bit from the very end of the book since it is a history book it goes through major chapters but i want to talk a little bit about the end and kind of where we are now with the academy awards before the 95th academy awards on sunday Oscar history tends to repeat itself. The characters in this book all wanted something that the Academy and its awards could give them. Louis B. Mayer wanted to consolidate his power. Mary Pickford wanted to keep her image clean. Betty Davis wanted to blaze her own path. Olivia de Havilland and Joan Fontaine wanted to outrun each other. Dalton Trumbo wanted his life back. Gregory Peck wanted to save an institution. And Alan Carr wanted his name in lights. Steven Spielberg wanted to honor his father. Harvey Weinstein wanted to gobble up everything in sight. Halle Berry wanted a victory to be bigger than her. Cheryl Bone Isaacs wanted to write the ship. And yet, all were players in a history that moved at its own pace, the tectonic plates of show business shifting underfoot. Art would poke the eye of commerce, and then commerce would reassert itself. Taste, politics, and power would realign. Most often, when change came, the academy resisted until it couldn't anymore but you can't fight the future. The pandemic delayed the opening of the already much-delayed Academy Museum of Motion Pictures, which finally opened to the public in September 2021 in a 300-square-foot building designed by Renzo Piano. So strenuously did the museum try to fill the demographic blind spots of the Academy's first century that got immediate backlash for omitting the Jewish moguls who founded the industry. The organization hatched by Louis B. Mayer seemed to have snubbed him until it was announced that he would be added to a permanent exhibition about the studio founders. Among the museum's artifacts are the sled from The Citizen Kane and one of the model sharks from Jaws, both movies that the Academy did not award its top prize. 
As the Academy approaches its 100th year, the eternal question has become more pointed than ever. Are the Oscars relevant in 2023? So, Ben, I want to read that bit just to kind of summarize what we've been through, especially the difference between last year and now this year. And I wanted to ask you that question. Are the Oscars relevant today? They are relevant because it's like almost irrelevant because it's like the trendy thing. Like like everyone's going to be watching the Oscars. Like everyone's going to tap into it on that night. Twitter's going to blow up. Instagram's going to blow up. You'll see it all. And then everyone will forget about it. Everyone will forget about it because that's just how today's society works. They latch onto the next thing that's happening. They latch onto the next event. And that's fine. So, yeah, the Oscars are relevant today. And they're going to be relevant next year and the year after that and the year after that, just at the time of the year the Oscars are out. So I really, I don't think the Oscars are going away, but its relevancy throughout the entire year is definitely not felt unless you're very into the Oscars like us and to other cinephiles, but to the general masses, no, it, it, they're just not going to think about it and it's not going to be in their, in their social media feed or, or ads, you know, wherever they are and they're just not going to see you the rest of the year, but they will now. I've once heard someone say, and I can't credit who said this, but I once heard someone say that movies and film cinema is the art form of the 20th century. And now being in the 21st century and, you know, having almost a quarter through the century, I think you could kind of argue against that. I think you could probably argue with that with the rise of social media platforms like TikTok and Instagram. But the question is, is it relevant? And I think the Oscars are still relevant. And I think you could also point to the viewership and say, well, what do you say about the dwaning viewership? And yes, to a degree, we've lost and, and lost a lot of viewers. But we're also not really that focused on things that are live when it comes to award shows. I think a lot of people will watch clips. They'll watch some of the speeches. You know, that's the slap, the infamous slap from last year has probably been watched so many millions of times across so many different platforms online. So I think it's harder just to judge something, especially award show where people don't really think they need to see it live because we can just catch up. We can watch Instagram pictures of the best dresses, the best outfits and everything like that. So on one hand, yes, viewership is dwaning, but I do think it's very important still. I think movies are still very important and integral into our lives as humans, and I think people want to talk about movies, and I think people are always curious about that question is what is the best movie, and what is the best movie this year? What should I spend my time with? I think a lot of people outside of the lives that Ben and I lead who claim you know, ourselves as cinephiles and how much we want to love films and how much we like to watch things, but a lot of people look at it as a distraction, you know, something that they can just watch and forget about their struggles and the stress of their daily lives. So for a lot of people, they couldn't give a shit about the Oscars, but I think there's always going to be a core group of cinephiles that will, you know, desperately look over every single inch in detail from the show, from the awards, from the Academy itself, and will always be there. And I think the significance of the awards and the glamour, I think there's always going to be something to that. As much as social media has kind of blend what a star is, I think people always know the difference between a real movie star and a social media influencer. So I think the answer is a little bit of yes and no. It's just a kind of mixed, muddy, gray area that we're in. It's whatever your definition of relevant is. I think that's what it ultimately comes down to. They're relevant to us. 
they're not relevant to you know Joe Schmo down the street who doesn't like going to the movies who you know just that's not part of their daily routine it's just it's a person to person thing and people you know where I work will always come up to me to ask about the Oscars and like what I think about it so they're not like the moviegoers like we are I guess I would say they're more the casual fans but they still relevant to them like it's still within their purview so I think that you know for that author to question like you know are the Oscars still relevant in 2023 yeah of course it's still relevant it's just like what relative is to you irrelevant is to you so at that you know there's a lot of things we can break down right there but let's talk about something that is relevant and that's our picks for the oscars on sunday before we actually jump into that john i just want to know how excited are you for sunday any big plans what are you going to be doing i am i'm very excited i wanted to do it together but somebody's got to work the next day but i uh wanted you to come out since we're no longer in the same city together and i wanted to watch it with you but sadly this will be the first year in a while that we won't be together i think which is sad and and disappointing but i'm probably more excited for this year's award than i have in a couple awards honestly because one i really love the year i love a lot of the movies and there is a front runner that i absolutely love so i'm excited to see kind of where that goes how far it goes the distance And it kind of feels like the first true year after the pandemic. Like we had last year and we had the weird year of the pandemic, really, with the train station and all that. And and last year's was a kind of reflection of it and kind of adjusting and kind of trying to find their new voice. So I'm excited to see where we go. You know, we have Jimmy Kimmel back, which is kind of just a, a boring choice for a host. But, you know, I think boring can get the job done. You know, so it's I'm the very choice. Exactly. It's very safe choice. And I'm excited for this year's show. Ben, what about you? Are you excited? I'm very excited for it. I uh, definitely would, you know, want to cook up a bunch of food, like a little Super Bowl party, you know, feel to it. Just like this is what I love. I love watching it. And I hate that people are so down on, you know, oh, it's so long. It's like I was looking at something that's saying it's like the average runtime now is like three hours and 15 minutes it's like there are plenty of things that people do for three hours and 15 minutes <laughs> that they don't complain about but when it comes to the oscars it's like oh my god it's don't watch like you don't have to watch you're gonna watch the clips you're gonna wonder who still won it's still <laughs> relevant uh so yeah so i'm really excited for it and interested to see how they move past last year and how they develop into a new world it does feel like a completely open and wide year in some categories some other categories feel pretty decided but it does feel like hey like movies are still here maybe that's the theme for the night is like movies are here they're not going away ever a movie like top gun maverick movie like everything everywhere all at once is still going to keep the theaters relevant and people engaged for an entire year i mean think about it. everything everywhere all at once came out last march that's when we first saw it and it stayed relevant for an entire year so that speaks to the testament of the movie and also how people are so excited about movies in general being back in theaters being widely seen um so that's what i'm looking forward to is a celebration of movies and film beautiful and let's jump right into it by talking about the best sound ben what is your pick who do you think is going to win for best sound so i think that top gun maverick is going to take the award uh for best sound in unfortunately for me this is the only time i think top gun maverick will be awarded for the evening i just think that when we get through all the other categories and we see you know who wins and whatnot i just feel like 
it's all it's not going to play out well for Top Gun Maverick as much as I would like love it to, but it seems like this is the the locked the lock of the evening for them that they're going to get best sound. But what did you pick for best sound? I also went with best sound. You know that booming thunderous sound of those jets, the working together. You know the combination of everything: the environmental sound. You know the end final fight scene, which is like thirty minutes of just straight, just beautiful action goodness. So I went with Top Gun. I think it has really incredible sound design and, and sound mixing. I, I think you could kind of argue. I think we both love the Batman as well, and, and we would also love to see it. But it seems like most likely Top Gun Maverick is kind of locked for best sound. Yeah, and we're, I'm going to be referencing uh, Ben Zalsmer. Uh, I've talked about him plenty of times on the podcast. Uh, he wrote a book called Oscar Metrics that came out a few years ago. He's a baseball statistician, so he uses real math like real like you know algorithms and and stuff that he completely came up himself uh to help figure out how to give picks for the oscars so his article came out today in the hollywood reporter for uh his picks and he has top gun maverick at a 48.3 percent chance of winning best sound so it seems pretty locked in uh but john let's move on to best original score what is your pick for that category for best original score, I went with Babylon. Justin Hurwitz has a trend with the Oscars. They seem to love him. It's a nod and throwback to the roaring 20s and 30s of the film industry back then. And, you know, I don't think it's going to shine that bright at this year's Oscars because I think a lot of people didn't care so much about the film uh, as much as Damien Chazelle probably hoped. But I'm leaning in for Babylon for best original score because it is a wonderful score that really gives the film a lot of momentum. But Ben, what did you give best original score? I went with Babylon as well. I mean, the score is fantastic. It really is what drives that movie. It has been used countless times now for fan edits on YouTube and different social media clips to put all the different movies in the year. And they always put that song. I even think I saw somebody point out that the Oscars have been using that uh that theme the main theme was the voodoo mama uh from from babylon as like their song for the commercial for the oscars so like if they're using it and they think it's that relevant like the marketing team probably shows like how like they they know that people are very into the to the score it is winning awards so my pick is definitely babylon and according to ben zalsmer he gives that the best chance to win but at 30 percent so the upset could be all quiet on the Western front, which I have seen other people predict, but it still seems like Babylon has the slight edge to win out best original score. Moving on to best makeup and hairstyling. I went back and forth in this category, but John, what did you pick for best makeup and hairstyling? Yeah, this is a really hard one. I think the whale could come from behind, you know, and and really grab it. That amazing prosthetics on Brandon Fraser. I mean, it sells the whole film if that doesn't work the whole film just doesn't work so if that could really come from behind and win but i don't know if when you look at the overall category of not only just makeup but with the hairstyling and how many different eras we had to go through for the film elvis i think uh this one's gonna go for elvis we have tons of different changing outfits tons of different hairstyles just the overall evolution of elvis and of course, his weight gain towards the end of his life gets really well represented in Elvis. So I picked Elvis. But what about you, Ben? I also went with Elvis, but I was going back and forth with the whale. And one of the things that I've noticed and a trend that I've picked up on 
is that a lot of the winners and best makeup and hairstyling, it just feels, you know, like a vice. It felt like that, or no, not vice, um, a Darkest Hour, and Darkest Hour won for best makeup and hairstyling. I just feel like that was a good accompaniment for um, for Gary Oldman in Darkest Hour last year, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, Jessica Chastain. It seems to go hand in hand where like the a, a category or something could be determined by best makeup and hairstyling, like a best actor or best actress race. But and so to me, Elvis is like this is one of the categories where like everyone loves the Elvis and the Academy voter base. We've been hearing about how how people are just absolutely amazed by the film. Most it must be the older Oscar voters because that like I love it, so that must mean the older audience <laughs> likes it too. <laughs> so I, it just seems like and like all the other Guild Awards are giving it to uh, to Elvis. You get to see all the costumes. You get to see his style develop throughout his whole entire career. It feels like momentum is building to like, hey, we love the way it looks, the, all the different costumes, all the different makeup for Elvis. We love it, his entire movie. Let's give it to Elvis. And Ben Zalsmer also gives Elvis that edge. Uh, he gives it a 47.5% chance of winning with the whale right behind it at 24.9. So let me I ask you this, John. Ben. Yeah, t- shoot it. Since this will obviously go before Best Actor, if the whale wins for Best Makeup and Hairstyling, do you think that's a lock for Brendan Fraser? Yes. And vice versa for Elvis? Yes. Because the way you described it, I think, is really accurate with the performances kind of tied to the hair and makeup. But that goes for both The Whale with Brendan Fraser and Elvis with Austin Butler, who really kind of transformed for the role. And one, I think, is more hairstyling and, and the costuming. But The Whale is really reliant on that makeup and hairstyling. So, yeah, that's that's a really interesting kind of key that if we see one way or the other, that could kind of indicate what may happen for Best Actor. Yeah, I mean, it kind of just shows, like, you know, is it that... Because what we've heard about the whale and Elvis is the whale was not critically acclaimed as much as people thought it would be. It wasn't well received. A lot of general audiences were kind of like, what? They were kind of put off by it. But a mass audience loved Elvis. And the critics were into it as well. Not as much as other biopics or or other films that that were or could have been nominated. So... I don't know. It's is it like which storyline is it? Is it that the critics will prevail or will the mass audience kind of prevail between these two films? So we'll see what happens. But moving on to best live action short. Short categories are always really hard. Uh my pick for this was an Irish goodbye. I've yet to see it, but that seems to be one that people are pointing to. But John, what is your pick for best live action short? So across the board it seems like almost Everyone is picking an Irish goodbye as the win. But for those who don't know, Ben and I like to do a little kind of ballot together and we kind of invite some people over, maybe throw a little money in individually and kind of have a jackpot for whoever gets the most awards really correct. So I don't think I've lost more to any category than best live action short. And I am, I've taken note of this over the past two or three years of either losing this ballot or losing the, the competition or, you know, tying for first or losing in third, you know, whatever it is, I usually always look back and say the gosh darn live action short award got me again. Every time all these publications, Variety, Hollywood Reporter, IndieWire, all these huge publications just pick a film 
and almost always it's not right like i don't know what it is i don't know if it's people like like this film in particular the most in in these major publications and that's kind of why they lean into it but almost across the board an irish goodbye seemed to be people's choice i however because i don't want to get this one wrong so many years of getting this wrong i went with what people think is the second choice which is produced by alfonso Cuaron, which is le pupil le pupil le pupil uh, <laughs> yeah, is it <laughs> completely murdering the pronunciation but i think it's going to go with the kind of like second in the running here i can't say really why in particular i just know that I have a tendency of picking what most people think is going to win for live action, and it seems to be always the runner-up or even a random film that no one really expected. So, Les Pupelles. Interesting, because <laughs> I didn't factor in the Alfonso Cuaron uh, factor. Uh-huh. I, I just didn't, didn't even see the name when we were <laughs> looking at it. And I have to, you know, I try to see all these movies. That's like my mission this week is to see all the shorts. Man, actually, I think I'm going to have to switch right now. I think it's a live I, switch. I, I will add to it, too, because I forgot something uh, to I, say as well, yeah, is that an Irish goodbye it. won the BAFTA this year for best short film. And immediately, I think that is why people jump on it right away. An Irish goodbye won the BAFTA for short film. It's going to win the Oscar. So that made me question, hmm, let me go and look into this. What film last year won the BAFTA? It was not the best short film at the Oscars the year before that. Not the best. I went like five to ten years back, and none of them were BAFTA winners. So we I don't really love th- trends. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I don't think it's a lock just because it wins BAFTA for best live action short that it'll win here at the Oscars. So you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I'm right here. We'll see. And last year's uh, winner for a uh, best live action short, which is The Long Goodbye, was. Uh, produced also by Riz Ahmed, a big name. Notable, yeah. But not be surprised that this continues to be another theme where, you know, like people start putting the names about I me. Mean, remember Kobe from a few years ago when he yeah. had that uh, best Hair animated love, short? Yeah. It was, no, it wasn't Hair Love, it was Dear Basketball. Oh, I think Hair Love right. came out the same year, though. I think Hair Love was uh, the same year. But uh, yeah, I think I'm going to switch. I'm going with uh, Lippy Peel, and I'm going to have to watch it. I think it's on Netflix, so. Probably pretty easy to watch. Uh, but let's move on to the best costume design category. Uh, John, what did you pick for best costume design? I went with Elvis. And, you know, speaking of trends, there usually is a trend between best makeup and hairstyling with costume design. Usually those are in tandem. That's fairly common in the Oscars. So I went with Elvis. Ben, what did you give for best costume design? So I also went with Elvis. Again, it just seeing all the costumes, like people love Elvis's costumes, uh, you know, all of his like suits and getups. It's just iconic. So I went with Elvis. And then Ben Zalzmer, when I was looking at what he picked, he picked Black Panther Wakanda forever. So this would be the second time that Black Panther would be getting costume design to, um, to Ruth Carter. I mean, like that, that feels like it could happen but is that a little strange that like a movie wins twice for like almost the same designs you know in the same category john what do you think yeah that's interesting because i'm pretty sure if i recall correctly that our early kind of predictions looking at the nominations that's kind of what i leaned into because i don't think there was really a front runner i don't think people really picked up on elvis as much even back then as the ball has been rolling on it now 
but it would be interesting, you know, because we do get all the design from the, wow, I'm blanking on their names, the blue people, not not avatars, but uh, not Navi, I should say, but the blue people in uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, who I'm forgetting their breed's name, oh, or uh, whatever they're called, Calicon, <laughs> no, that's the location, Namor's. whatever, <laughs> Namor's. <laughs> yeah. Namor's people, uh, the blue people. Uh, you know, we get all those really cool designs from that, like the water designs, the design of Namor himself. So there is a lot of new there. It's not like you're just kind of stuck in Wakanda with the same designs. So I could see it, but I don't know. There's probably never, that's probably never happened before where a sequel wins, I would imagine. Like a sequel from the same <sighs> film that won previously. Not that I can remember. Yeah, it was specifically for costumes. So. Yeah, I mean Ben Salisbury. The way he puts it is, uh, Elvis won BAFTA in a costume design guilds and elite, and it leads in the betting market. So it actually is the favorite to win. But there's a lot of under the radar awards for Black Panther. Also won the Critics Choice Award. Uh, you know, so it's like this slight. He was at a 43.1 percent chance, whereas Elvis is a 31.2. I mean. I don't know, John. It's a it's a could be a closer race. Maybe Black Panther is the sneaky pick, but I'm gonna stick with Elvis. Moving on to best animated short film, John. What did you pick? I went with the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse. That seems to be the main front runner here. So I just kind of leaned into that. Usually, the front runner for animated shorts is the lock, is the winner. I think if there's any other kind of choice here that might come from behind, my year of dicks seems to be the one. I know, Ben, you watched that film. I think you watched The Boy, The Mole, The Fox, and The Horse as well. So tell me a little yeah. bit about that. What do you think is going to win? Yeah, I also picked The Boy, The Mole, The Fox, and The Horse. I watched that earlier today. It is a beautiful short film. It's uh, very well animated. It has a lot of heart to it. It's based off a children's book. Um, it's on Apple, so it's really if you have Apple, it's really easy to watch so i'd recommend it i think it is going away and it seems pretty locked up um and my year of dicks was also a good uh short animated film but it just feels like apple more accessible a little more you know kid friendly so you kind of watch with your kids i'm sure oscar voters may have been influenced by that you know you never know what these kids love these days so you never know how they could sway their parents so i went with the boy the mole the fox and the horse Best Animated Feature Film. John, what did you pick for Best Animated Feature Film? I went with Turning Red. No, I'm kidding. It's gonna God, be, no. <laughs> it's going to be Del Toro's Pinocchio. I had to throw the, the jab out because, you know, I want to hear your thoughts on why Turning Red is, is the runner-up here <laughs> for what might win. <laughs> Just going to rub that in your face a bit. But, no, I, I think del toro's pinocchio is, is a wonderful adaptation it's darker and more serious than the recent disney adaptation and, and the remake that they just made on disney plus which was pure unadulterated trash and <laughs> i just really love the design the whole world it is just a wonderful film while also being a really great animated feature film and Del Toro really deserves it after last year's crime of Nightmare Alley not winning literally anything. <laughs> Still pissed about it. I can't wait for that 4K black and white version, which rumored is coming out this year. My eyes are peeled for that. But, Ben, what did you give Best Animated Feature Film, and how do you feel about Turning Red as the runner-up? Uh, Turning Red is not going to be the runner-up, <laughs> so don't have to worry about that. Uh, it's Pinocchio. It, that movie kicks 
but it is such a crazy movie. Only Del Toro could have come up with something like that. Emotional, beautiful, nutty, and like it makes no sense how they're able to do some of the things. The animation is crazy. The amount of time they put into it, uh, it's it's great, and the ending is truly beautifully heartbreaking. Like I'm crying, but I'm like also smiling while watching the ending of that movie. So, uh, yeah, it's gonna win, and it has an 88.5 percent chance of winning on Sunday, which basically a lock. Uh, according to Zalzer's math, it is the most likely nominee to win in any category on Sunday. So. Guillermo del Toro Pinocchio is going to win. Moving on to best visual effects. John, what did you pick for best visual effects? At one point, Top Gun Maverick may have kind of squeezed in to win, but I think it's a lock for good old Jamesy boy. James Cameron's Avatar The Way of Water will win best visual effects this year because, gosh darn, have you seen that movie? Have you seen it in IMAX 3D? It looks photorealistic. No, it doesn't quite look that good, but it is an amazing feat. Unbelievable. I think without a doubt, most people are leaning into this as the winner here because gosh darn, is that a lot of special effects involved. But I can't not shout out the Batman here. I think the Batman has demonstrated just how amazing you can kind of use the digital volume, the big LED walls that you kind of have seen in a lot of Disney projects like The Mandalorian, for instance. And gosh, man, I think the Batman shows a really wonderful way of using technology in the future and kind of mixing that with practical effects and how you can kind of combine the two to really make something feel authentic and lived in. While Avatar just says, fuck it, these are two people behind pure nothingness and we will make the film after we shoot. So I think there's some magic there. Of of course, there's brilliance in there, and a lot of our characters don't even even exist in reality, and I think that is a testament to how I was crying about uh, Calcoon the Whale, or whatever his name was. Uh, (laughs) I think it's a testament that I was crying about this animated whale in Avatar The Way of Water. But Ben, what do you think will win Best Visual Effects? It's Avatar The Way of Water. That movie was visually stunning. Um, it is, it's pretty remarkable what James Cameron was able to put together. Uh, it's as much as I want to poo-poo it because I'm like, well, it's mostly animated and it says, you know, I want to poo-poo it, but I really can't. It is like a, it is a beautiful looking film. It was an awesome experience to go to see it in IMAX, especially in the huge, uh, format. Like I was able to watch it and it was sick. So it's going to win. Uh, Ben Zalzmer gives an 83.2% chance. So. A little bit lower than Pinocchio, but it's pretty much locked in to best visual effects. Moving on to best production design. John, what did you give best production design to? Babylon won the BAFTA for best production design, so I'm leaning into that with the technical award for Babylon. One of the few awards that I think will win for what an amazing journey of a film that was. Can't wait to see that again when it comes to disc. But yeah, I think I'm leaning into Babylon This category does bring up the question of best production design and the nomination of Avatar The Way of Water. I found that so fascinating on so many levels because they manufacture everything. And I guess you could say, well, so does a film. You have to build a room. You have to bring all the props and design the room however you like it. But Avatar The Way of Water is like completely constructed. So I'm so curious to know that the production designer listed and the set decoration set decorator listed here 
how how are they credited? Are like are they animators in a way? Anyway, before going down that Avatar the Way of Water rabbit hole, I just wanted to bring that up just because I think it's such a fascinating conversation because it's manufactured design. And in that case, couldn't an animated film then be nominated for Best Production Design if it really has that amazing quality and level of production design? And that brings up a whole big question of whether Avatar is an animated film or not. We don't need to go down that rabbit hole. But Ben, what do you think will win for Best Production Design? Yeah, I think it's going to be Babylon that it, it it was awesome to see like this 1920s Hollywood be recreated and based off just like us researching for the podcast, us looking at older films and understanding what Hollywood looked like, like just getting a true feel for it to see like put on screen was awesome and not really done. I think in like many other movies, I, I can't think of many movies that had that like captured like what Hollywood actually was is just desert wasteland next to the ocean like made no sense like where it was like how how any of it was there and how they were able to construct what is Hollywood and Los Angeles now so Babylon to me gets it it's wild it's crazy it's zany it has everything you could want every animal you can think of uh and Avatar the way of water the uh nomination there it's a little bizarre, I gotta say. It's a little bizarre. <laughs> but let's move on to best original song. John, what did you pick for best original song? I went with Not Too, Not Too. You know, RR is not nominated for best international feature film, which is really baffling. There's got to be some logic behind that. Don't know why. Couldn't figure out why. But RR is a huge, huge film this last year. Everyone was talking about it. So many of our friends were talking about it. And how often do we hear friends talking about Indian films? Almost never. I literally cannot remember a single time where any of my friends were like, you have to see this Indian film. Even like a Bollywood film. You need to see this. You need to go out and see it. So it speaks volumes. I think Natu Natu is the big dance number in the film, if I remember correctly, when I saw it. And it is, it's a blast. It's a really great time, and it's a really wonderful scene, and I think people are going to be remembering that uh, after they leave the film, and I think they're still remembering it. But, Ben, what did you give Best Original Song? So, I have to admit, RRR is a movie I have not had the chance to watch yet, and it's on. It's it's going to try and do it this weekend. But everyone's picking not to, not to, so... That's what I'm going with. That's what everyone's saying. And Ben Zalzmer says that is the favorite as well. 45.9% chance of winning. So, yeah, I'm going to go with that. Take the easy road. Take the favorite. Um, also, I didn't mention best production design. Uh, Babylon favorite 56.6. So we're on the right path, John. We're on the right path. Best international feature film. John, what did you pick for that one? I went with All Quiet on the Western Front. Seems to be a lock. I don't think there's really much of a competition, even though I heard great things about these films like EO from Poland, which seems to be kind of the runner up right behind Argentina in 1985. Seemed to be really great, wonderful international films. But All Quiet on the Western Front has that kind of trend, that tracking history of that foreign picture being nominated under the best category or under the best picture category, thus being almost a lock for the winner of best international feature film. But Ben, am I wrong? What did you pick? I also went with All Quiet on the Western Front. It is a great movie. It again, like what you just said, it's also nominated for Best Picture. It's locked in there. I 
I've said it before. I must have said in the last two prediction episodes that we've done over the last few years. Can you believe also this is our third Oscars that we're covering on this podcast? Pretty wild. Insane. But anyways, uh, anyways, what were they saying? So, uh, yeah, as I was saying, like, I think that every movie that every Best Picture nominees, like if it includes a Best International Feature Film, is indicative that that movie is going to win Best International Feature Film. So that's why I think it will win. Interestingly enough, Ben Zalzmer's Oscar predictions based on his math and his models uh, has Alcoy on the Western Front winning at a 36.6% chance and gives the movie close at 29.7% and giving Argentina 1985 a 24.3% chance. So very odd that his math would come out to slightly favor Alcoy on the Western Front over some other movies where it seems like it's a lock. So it's still getting into that, but maybe there is some twist, maybe because All Quiet on the Western Front's gonna get cinematography. It it could sneak away with something else. You know, maybe we're not you know, other the the other craft categories. So maybe Oscar voters are thinking, Oh, we'll give it to something else. But I don't think that will happen. I still think it will be all quiet on the Western Front. But I guess uh, don't be surprised that that Oscar math works out that way. Moving on to best film editing, John, what did you pick for best film editing? I went with Top Gun Maverick. While a lot of people are kind of leaning into everything everywhere all at once with its amazing editing, and while I totally agree it has some astonishing editing with the crazy quick cuts and the, all the different perspectives that we get to see of Michelle Yeoh's character, but I really think Top Gun Maverick has it. I think that that film is really really tightly edited and it's why the action scenes work so great that must have been insanely difficult and there must have been so much footage that they had to kind of go through in order to kind of edit these aerial sequences that not only is it just wonderfully edited and put together I think it was a large task that they kind of had to handle Um, but Ben tell me what you think will win for best film editing I said it when I first saw the movie and I'm glad that it's going to happen. Everything, everywhere, all at once. I came out of that movie the first time watching it going, wow. The editing that went into just the sequence where she's experiencing everything and all of her different realities are coming up. And it's like not even like a full second that you get to see. It's like millisecond. Incredible editing right there. I think there was a lot to balance. There's a lot of cool different tricks they're trying to do. A lot of different movies they were trying to you know honor in this movie so i to me it's everything everywhere all at once and it has a 41.2 percent chance of winning which is the top for ben zalsberg's oscar math but john he gives top gun maverick a 27 percent chance could there be an upset i don't know i'm gonna stick with everything everywhere all at once it is winning the awards it just i i just feel the momentum's right there but we'll see we'll see what happens Best Documentary Short Film. John, what did you pick for Best Documentary Short Film? The Stranger at the Gate? I don't know. I haven't watched any of these. I'm not going to watch any of these. <laughs> I don't know. It just seemed to be like the thing that people were kind of leaning in that was this or another. But, Ben, what did you pick for Best Documentary Short Film? I went with The Elephant Whispers, which I haven't seen any of these. But it's the one that's on Netflix, I think. So that seems mm. to be... The most easily accessible one. It's about elephants. Uh, it's the betting favorite right now. I'm going to go with the Elephant Whisperers. 
best documentary feature film. John, what did you pick for best documentary feature film? I went with Navalny, if that's how you pronounce it. Because again, Navalny. Uh, have not have not seen <laughs> this. <laughs> Say it again. Novelny is that what it is? Like a novelty? Navalny. Navalny is that a name or a place? Yeah. Oh my god, we should. <laughs> it's um. You ever heard of Alex Navalny? I think it's no. Navalny. No, obviously Alexei I wouldn't Navalny. have said his name incorrectly if I've heard of him before. So he was a uh, he was like this. He was some Russian who was given like a lethal like dose of of poison essentially like a neuro agent because i think he was protesting uh putin or something oh and back in that's this documentary yeah. yeah i remember yeah. that news story certainly did yeah. not remember the man's name though <laughs> Navani, yeah so maybe let's, well let's ben start. what what did you give <laughs> best documentary <laughs> We'll figure out some edit right there. Are you editing or am I? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, for best documentary feature film, I went with Navani as well. I've not seen it. Again, I'm going to try and watch it. And Ben Zalzmer gives it a 34.3, but gives it gives Fire of Love a 31.6% chance. So pretty close race. Not really sure what to go with. I actually did watch like a weird different edit of fire of love uh that um uh that warner herzog did it, it it's strange there's a lot to explain right there so uh it could be fire of love but i'm gonna go with navani because everyone else is picking it uh moving on to best cinematography john what is your pick for best cinematography so a lot of people are leaning into all quiet on the western front from james friend but man i really think this is going to be a historic year because it's going to be the first time a woman, a woman wins Best Cinematography. And that is going to be Mandy Walker for Elvis. I think Elvis is going to take home the award. I, I Not only is it just stunning of a film in terms of its dynamic, insane, nonstop movement. But, man, what a great job keeping those performances alive. Making us feel like we're really in each era that we're in. And the chaos that Baz Luhrmann loves to live in when it comes to his filmmaking. So I'm leaning into Elvis. Ben, what do you think will win for best cinematography? I'm leaning into All Quiet on the Western Front. It is a beautiful looking movie. I love Elvis. I love the way it looks, but I just feel like it just feels like All Quiet on the Western Front is more of a like Oscar winning cinematography, you know, production and, and job. So I want to go with that. Um, so interestingly that you bring up Elvis. So Ben Zausmer picks All Quiet on the Western Front as his uh, winner at 48.4 gives Elvis a 27.9 and the big reason for that is recently Mandy Walker who is the cinematographer for Elvis won at the American Society of Cinematographers uh, show uh, awards for feature film category this is, a, this is an indicator for cinematography at the Oscars but All Quiet on the Western Front was not nominated for this award so is that, you know, just one of those things where, like, oh, well, the presumptive favorite for all the other award shows wasn't there, so we're giving it to this? Or is it going to be that, hey, Mandy Walker, first female to win, le- would love to give that to her? So, I don't know. I'm seeing of all quiet on the Western Front, though, so it'll be very interesting to see what happens. Moving on to Best Original Screenplay, John, what did you give Best Original Screenplay? 
I went with The Banshees of Inishirin by Martin McDonough. Man, what an amazing film. Such a beautifully written film. And I don't think it's getting enough love this year at this Oscar, so I think it will pick up for Best Original Screenplay because not only is it just a wonderful film and just wonderfully written, it's unique and it's special and it really does feel like an Academy film and a film that the Academy would love. So I went with The Banshees of Inishirin, but what about you, Ben? I went with Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. It is the favorite uh, for the category. It's been winning precursor awards. It All the signs point to that it's going to, but according to the math, it's actually a very close race. So it has Everything Everywhere All at Once winning, but then Zalzmer's uh, second choice is Banshee's Magnus Sheeran, and all, everything everywhere, everything everywhere, all at once is getting a thirty nine point eight percent chance, and Banshee's getting thirty six point six. So really close race. It it would be a very interesting year if the two screenplay categories would not be what the best picture is, and we'll get to best picture and, and talk about it a little bit more when we get to it. It'd be very strange for that to happen. I still think everything everywhere all at once gets it. I think that. The originality of the screenplay is like what's going to pop the most when people think about it. Like how original that was versus like, yeah, it's Banshees is meticulously written. It is a perfect script. It is exactly what any writer I think would love to have in their catalog, in their repertoire. But the original, the originality from everything everywhere, I think pops a little bit more. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Let's go to the, best adapted screenplay category john what did you pick for best adapted screenplay for best adapted screenplay i went with women talking this is one of the two films that i have yet to see but i just don't there's not a chance that glass onion and eyes on mystery wins top gun not a chance i think this is really kind of stuck between women talking and living which is a direct adaptation from a wonderful japanese film now, I could see kind of leaning into All Quiet on the Western Front, possibly. This is a, a kind of Oscar film that's ingrained in our history from the very, very, very start, almost, of the Academy Awards. But I'm leaning to Sari Polly taking it home with women talking. What about you, Mr. Benjamin? I am also going with women talking. It is the favorite to win. Very strange you know, year and awards year for women talking. Only getting two Oscar nominations here. I mean, it got Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Picture. Nothing else, which I think surprised many. I don't know what happened to it. Uh, but Ben Zausmer thinks that that is going to win at 61.5% chance. But it also gives All Quiet and Western Front a 24% chance. So not as strong as a favorite, maybe as you might think. Or you can think it's a pretty strong favorite. Right, so Best Adapted Screenplay, probably going to go to Women Talking. John, moving on to Best Supporting Actress, probably the one category of the night that I don't feel confident about at all. What is your pick? So Angela Bassett won the Golden Globes and the Critics' Choice Award for Black Panther Wakanda Forever. She gives a wonderful performance in that film. It kind of like hangs on her shoulders for a lot of it. And it would be a very, very significant award to give to her, not only for the MCU as a whole and, and kind of acknowledging her role and kind of carrying on the lineage with Chadwick Boseman, but 
Jamie Lee Curtis just won the SAG Award for Best Supporting Actress. So this is a really, really tough category, like you said. And, man, it could really go either way. I didn't have enough time to really lean into all the history and the, the trends of SAG Best Supporting Actress specifically winning and kind of carrying it. So I'm leaning on the significance of Angela Bassett winning and taking home Best Supporting Actress. But, Ben, tell me your thoughts. I am also going with Angela Bassett. She, I, I, to me, out of the category, I think that she really does give the best performance. It is emotional. It, it it's such a it's such a great performance. The, the emotions that she puts into it is fascinating, and and I truly love it. So I'm gonna go with Angela Bassett. But you're right, this is a very open race. Zalzmer has Angela Bassett winning at 39.8 percent chance, followed by Jamie Lee Curtis at 26.8. And Carrie Condon at twenty two point one for Banshees. I I don't know what 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 did Jamie Lee Curtis do in this movie that was like Oscar worthy? Am I missing something, John, or is this just the oh my god we love everything everywhere all at once so much that we're just gonna start giving awards to everything for it? We need to find reasons to. Is it it's, just like how like Jamie Lee Curtis has been so loving in her uh, campaign for Michelle Yeoh? Is that it? I think it's a couple things. I think people love Jamie Lee Curtis. I think she is a, a huge voice in this industry. Obviously, she's one of the OG Nepo babies and really the Nepo baby that we kind of all look to and, and kind of love in Hollywood. And she just ended her whole big trilogy with Halloween. I think she's just been in the zeitgeist. She's also very vocal when it comes to her politics and, and kind of being out front. She's been even in like Sonic controversies over her political opinions and, you know, maybe pushing the left side so hard. Uh, that it kind of may be a little bit too much. I just think she's very present and she's been pushing this film. Honestly, I wouldn't be like, I don't think it's crazy to say that Jamie Lee Curtis is the reason why everything everywhere all at once is being pushed as hard as it is. I think from day one, she has been such a strong voice for this film and, and vocalizing it. And I think that's definitely showing just how much she's kind of carried it to this point that she's able to win the SAG. And uh, the winner of SAG last year was Ariana DeBois, who would then go on and win uh, for Best Supporting Actress as well at the Oscars for West Side Story. So there is that connection right there. And, and it's hard to like not look at that and be like, well, that could just kind of be a lock then for Jamie Lee Curtis. It's really, really, really hard to kind of like not think about that. But then when you look at the previous award in 2020, with Minari being the winner for the SAG, which didn't end up being Best Supporting Actress at the Oscars. so But then if you go back to 2019, you have Laura Dern. So if we're following the trend of 2019 being the winner for both, 2020 being different winners, 2021 being the winner for both, 2022 being the winner is different. So thus making Angela Bassett. But I think it's a great question that you bring up. What is Jamie Lee Curtis doing? I think she plays multiple roles. She's both multiple villains. She's very much different villains in, in throughout the film and different timelines that take place. And she's also a sensitive lover with Michelle Yeoh. So I think she is doing a lot in this film. I think if you just look at it, you're like, okay, it's kind of, it's, it's definitely the villain. She's there to kind of like push our characters along more, but she's doing a lot. But I think when you compare it to the Carrie Condon's, the the Hong Chow's from The Whale, they give such powerful, strong performances that they just look like those Oscar winners, right? Those like the speeches that you can yeah. see, you can just see them playing during the Oscars, right? So I get that. I definitely get that. Yeah. So 
I went. I was going through the SAG Awards too, and actually, Young Jun Yun for Minari won for Best Supporting Actress that year. So, oh no, I was go wrong. Back. Gosh darn, yeah. it's okay. But so I corrected you. You're fine now. Uh, you have to go back to the 25th SAG Awards, which uh, honored movies in 2018. Emily Blunt won for A Quiet Place, and the winner of the Oscar that year was Regina King for If Beale Street Could Talk. So I was like. Okay, well, that's the first year. So we went a couple years back. I haven't found a discrepancy between the two and, uh, you know, going back almost like 10 years. So that's, to me, that's pretty nutty that Jamie Lee Curtis come out of nowhere to win the SAG Award. But at the same time, it's that did happen sort of recently where it didn't match. So I just feel like this could happen. I just feel like the Angela Bassett, like she gives a great emotional performance. I, I'm just gonna stick with it. I'm gonna stick with Angela Bassett. Do you want to change your pick at all? Or are you are you saying of Angela Bassett? I'm gonna lock it. I think not only does the Academy want and need more representation, I think that's gonna lean and push it. She's like a phenomenal actress who's just given a lot to this industry, and I think Jamie Lee Curtis is done her awards she's done her rounds i think it is it would be very odd knowing her character and that having having to be the winner would be such a bizarre thing just as how goofy and weird her character is i'm still distracted that you said emily blunt won for a quiet place and i like had to like double check that you were right i was like no fucking way that's no that's not true how the how did she that is such a big question on I don't even want to get into it, but like that is insane that she won for that movie. So maybe I'm completely wrong. That's like a wild film to win for best supporting actress. People, uh, people love that movie. They love that movie a lot. I liked it a lot, but like Oscar caliber. I don't know, man. You got like goofy CGI well, monsters running around. Oh, you're right. Sag, sag caliber. caliber. Excuse me. Excuse me. Yeah. And she did have yeah. the wonderful, you know, stepping on the nail performance. <laughs> we love that. <laughs> right. Well, We'll see what happens, but this one I have no true, like, lock. I'm just going to say it's Angela Bassett right now, and we'll see what happens. Best Supporting Actor, though, pretty locked up. John, who's your pick for Best Supporting Actor? Ki-Hu Kwan. Seems to be the lock. Honestly, I don't think there's been more of a lock on the Academy Awards than than him for everything, everywhere, all at once. He is basically the heart. He's the connection. He's the linchpin that kind of ties the whole movie together. And what an amazing performance. And it's not even just the performance. I think it also ties in with the story. You know, him coming back after like 30 years and not being in the film industry, giving such a wonderful performance and such a significant film that represents just the beauty and power of cinema. And he does a damn good job, and everyone is just dying to hear what that man says during his acceptance speech. But, Ben, do you feel the same way? I feel the exact same way about uh, Kihiwi Kwan. I just think that he's going to win it all. He's been he's just the industry darling right now. And so it just, it's pretty locked up. Salzmer, he has him winning at a 78.9% chance. So what's interesting about this race and the other supporting uh, race and probably just the entire acting race, which we can repeat a couple of times, is the BAFTAs this year. So the BAFTAs had Carrie Condon winning for supporting actress and had Barry Keegan winning for Banshees of Inishirin for best supporting actor, which is interesting that Brendan Gleeson didn't win for that because it seems like he gave the better performance. But either way, it doesn't really matter. So everything everywhere all at once gets shut out pretty much completely by the BAFTAs. So 
I don't know if it's a British people didn't like everything of her all at once. Like that's the audience that <laughs> you've talked about to me about like, Hey, like there are some people that just think it's too weird of a movie. I think maybe that's it. So I think like it's an outlier this year, the BAFTAs. So, but I think he Kwan's going to win it. Everyone's going to want to see him give his acceptance speech. It's going to be a big moment. So very interested and excited to see that. John, let's go to best actress. Who is your pick for best actress for this year? I went with Kate Blanchett for best lead actress. And as much as it pains me, because I really want Michelle Yeoh to win, I am leaning in to the BAFTA that Kate Blanchett won. I think Tar is a film that people really, really love. And people that really love cinema and, and stories that challenge you and make you question you know, reality make you question what even happened in that story and, and, and how do we kind of reflect and look at it. I think Tar and her central performance as Tar, Lydia Tar, is, is unbelievable. It's amazing. It really ties that whole movie together. She is that movie. She's almost in every single scene throughout that entire film, and she's wonderful. She's truly amazing. And I just think the the overall academy is I think going to lean into her. She's like a, a previous winner. People love her. And I think Tar is just kind of going away with, without enough attention. And I think they want to at least give a nod to that film because it is so great. You look on the other side with Michelle Yeoh who won the SAG award, which is kind of a nice key indicator of who might win with such a big kind of takeaway that everything everywhere all at once had. I still just see a hesitation there and a hesitation specifically with just not giving tar anything with Blanchett being such a loved voice. I just feel like her, she's, she still has a presence around the competition and she still seems like she's going to be in it, even though that Michelle Yeoh just won the SAG award. But Ben, tell me why I'm wrong. I think it is going to be Michelle Yeoh. It just again that momentum behind her. It's so strong. Like film Twitter loves her. It just feels like that this is a a that like this like people felt like okay well, we can get everything everywhere for best picture for director like that would be huge. But getting Michelle Yeoh would would be this like huge, really big accomplishment. And again, just like I just feel like the momentum is right there. Surprisingly though, Ben Zalsmer has Kate Blanchett winning. Even he writes in the article that he was pretty shocked that the models came out to have Kate Blanchett winning at a 52.9% chance of winning and Michelle Yeoh winning at 26.3. Michelle Yeoh is the betting favorite. There's a lot of weird stuff. Again, like the BAFTAs, I think you have to throw out this year. I think that they really did not like the British Film Academy, just did not like everything everywhere. <laughs> um, so I don't know, man. It's going to be really interesting. I know we've gone back and forth about it. I'm still sticking with Michelle Yeoh. I'm going with the populist vote. I, it just it feels like there's too much momentum for it not to happen. Moving on to Best Actor, which again is another crazy race. John, who is your pick for Best Actor? So I leaned into the... Well, if you look at uh, our previous conversation regarding the makeup and hairstyle, we kind of leaned in that if one win or the other kind of takes it, this may be an indicator for best lead actor. I think that Elvis won for makeup and hairstyle, thus making, or excuse me, I think it's actually going to be separate. I do think that Brendan Fraser will win for The Whale. 
I think he has a lot of momentum. He has a lot of carrying him and a lot of pushing him towards uh, being the winner. So I do think there will be a separation here between those two. But Ben, what do you think? Who's going to win for best lead actor? I went back and forth and I put both names down between Austin Butler and Brendan Fraser. And I'm going to go with Austin Butler. I think that the best makeup and hairstyling wins is going to indicate who wins. I think it will be Elvis. I think that as much as I would love to see Brendan Fraser win it, I love the whale. Again, people really love Elvis. They really like Austin Butler. They like all the lead actors, honestly. So it's a great year. And Ben Zalsmer has Austin Butler winning at a 41.7% chance and Brendan Fraser at a 33.2. I know Fraser is the betting favorite right now. So I don't know. I'm gonna this is where I'm going with an upset. This is where I'm going against the trends. I'm going with Austin Butler. So pretty crazy. We'll see what happens. Moving on to best director. Wait, wait, before we move on. Oh, oh. Before we move on. Okay. So, one, I'm so tired of best actors just being someone who's just portraying someone, a biopic. I'm so over it. Let's just stop it. Stop it here right now. Austin Butler gave a great performance as Elvis. He was convincing, did his dancing and singing, still has the same voice. We don't need to talk about that, but I'm just so over it. I don't want this to be the same thing over and over. You just play this famous person and people are like, oh, you monkey dance, good good singing. You sound just like him. Yes, best actor. I'm so over it. Can we just move on and have some original characters? This is film. This is cinema. We should be telling stories that are original to our medium. Like, let's honor those characters and those stories. Like, The Whale is such a great film that is carried by Brendan Fraser's performance. He is the center of that film. And he's magnificent. You can't look and say, well, you know, uh, someone would have been better as the whale. You know, if we hired uh, Colin Farrell as the whale, he would have been a much better performance. No, no. It is a great original character who is so compelling and real. But everyone wants to point at that that person. He looks like him. He sounds like him. Best actor. I'm just so over it. I had to go on a rant. It would be cool to see Butler win. He's a young guy, 31. He'd be the you know fifth youngest guy to ever win. But come on. I'm so over this trend. It's a good performance. It's a great movie. You know, it's a good movie. I won't even give the great title, but come on. Come on. I mean, you're going to... That's just what it is. The biopic is the trend right now. I mean, honestly, it's not even that much of a trend. Like, so yeah, last year, biopic for Will Smith. Two years, and then the previous two years, Anthony Hopkins won, original character, then Joaquin Phoenix won for The Joker. That's not a biopic, although maybe it could be. I don't know. <laughs> uh, then Rami Malek won for Freddie Mercury. Then Oldman for Churchill. So it's like, okay, those are back-to-back years. But then Casey Affleck won for Manchester by the Sea. Then DiCaprio won for Hugh Glass, which I guess is a biopic, but no one knows who Hugh Glass really was or what he looked like or sounded like. Uh, then Eddie Redmayne won for Stephen Hawking. But then McConaughey won for Dallas Buyers Club, which I guess is also a biopic. But again, no one really knows who the guy was or what he was actually like. They brought that story to life. So there's always going to be like a biopic like fascination with the Oscars. It's been there since the beginning of time with the Oscars. You should know this, John. 
People yeah, love hate biopics. It. I hate it. But it's but, just but that's what that gets people, nominated. Yeah, it's I hate it. <laughs> I hate it. It's so dumb. It's so but stupid. It doesn't always happen. It but people love Elvis and and that's the thing. And I don't want to go with it. But Elvis, like that again. People just love Elvis, and that's the that's Victor Force. I mean, honestly, Colin Farrell. We're no one's talking about him, and he gives a great performance. Bill Nye for Living was incredible. That was an awesome movie. I, I'm so happy I got to watch that movie. But he's not going to win. There's so many actors who don't win over the years. Brandon Frazier has, a, I think, as good of a chance as Austin Butler. I just feel like Austin Butler is going to win it. I just think that Elvis factor is way too much. And people did not like The Whale as much as we did. And that's fine. We'll see what happens, John. I hope I hope I'm wrong in this category, and you're right, because I want to see you happy. I swear to God. Okay. I don't. Uh, but that hold, means I get that means I get the shorts. Comments. Okay, I get the shorts if you, if you get this. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's go to best director. Which honestly, I'd rather have best director right now. Who's your pick for best director, John? I went with Steven Spielberg. I think that's what you were like leading with last, where we kind of last left off with the early nominations and predictions. I think you know. I'll tell you what. Last award show that I saw Steven Spielberg at, I'm not sure what it was, Golden Globes maybe, I don't know. I saw him, he looks so old, and I know that's that's not saying anything new. He's an old man, he's been in the film industry for 50 years at this point. He looks very old, like so old that I'm like, wow, he is legitimately like an old man. Like he has reached the status that I was just the way John Ford's depicted in the Fablemans, like not to that degree, but he was shockingly old. And I'm saying all of this, not to bash the man. We love Stevie Spielberg, but I think this is kind of like an honorary award for him. This may be like one of the last big films that he kind of goes out with. I think it's maybe one of, it's really personal to him. It's got that connection. I think this is kind of an honorary Oscar for the boy. And I think in the past, I've leaned in heavily with the Daniels. I love, love the Daniels. I love both of the films they made, the music videos they made before their feature film career. Outstanding. Really outstanding. And they did such a hell of a job that personally, if I had to pick, I would definitely pick the Daniels. But we're talking about predictions, what we think will actually win. And I think Steven Spielberg still has that chance. He still has that possibility. But, Ben, tell me why I'm wrong. I wanted it to be Steven Spielberg when we talked about the Oscars a couple months ago. I thought the Fablemans would easy win, lock it in, sign seal delivered. I've been proven wrong every other award show. Everyone's picking the Daniels. It's the Daniels, the Daniels, the Daniels. It's everything everywhere all at once. I'm going to give it to the Daniels, although I would pick Steven Spielberg. I, it's not like the Daniels did a bad job. I think that it's a phenomenal directed movie. It just, I don't know, man. Again, like, I guess the Fablemans, like, really spoke to me in a certain way. Spielberg speaks to me in a certain way. So I I would have picked that. Ben Zalsmer has the Daniels winning at a 59% chance. It's going to win. It's pretty locked up right now with that category. John, before we get into Best Picture, do you have any final thoughts on, on the on our predictions, the Oscars, any final thoughts before we give our best picture winners for the 95th Academy Awards? I think when we last spoke, you were like, eh, I'm not that excited. It seems, it seems like we know what's going to win. Yada, yada. And I would not handle that. 
we run a gosh darn Oscar podcast, and this guy's like, Ooh, I'm not. We already know every what's going to win. We no. do know. I think it was there's going to be some surprises. It's been this decided. Year. I think there's no. going to be some true surprise this year. I think we kind of looked at some major categories that are still maybe even up in the air and might switch. And I love a year where we really don't know what will win Best Picture, and I'm standing by that. We don't know. It is not a lock. It's, John, it's it's incredibly locked up by now. It, like last year, the CODA thing was – Maybe this could happen, maybe. But then, as like two weeks out from the Oscars, we like we had this feeling that Coda was gonna do it. So it, that didn't come as a shock for it. For right now, the week less than a week, five days before, you think that mm-hmm. all of a sudden that the that everything everywhere all at once won't win after it's won. I, hold on, let me pull this up because I screenshotted this before just to kind of prove to you that like it it the trends are right there. Uh, Everything All at Once has pulled off a clean sweep sweep of the guilds winning WGA, DGA, PGA, and SAG. And you know what also did that? Argo, Slumdog Millionaire, American Beauty, and No Country for Old Men, which all went on to win Best Picture. You win all of those, you're going to win. Like that that is, it's a lock. It's locked in. I don't know how you could think otherwise that that Everything Everywhere All at Once won't win at this point. Zalsmer has it. At a sixty-eight point one percent chance, Banshee, and and that's only because it's split through ten different movies. It probably be a higher chance if it was five, and Banshees is number two at eight point nine. It's not going to happen. There's no way. So I don't believe it. I think what's going to happen is that there's going to be a split in the vote. I think there is still while the movie has won a lot. I'm not going to say it didn't. And again, what I would pick is everything everywhere all at once. Personally, that if I had the vote. I would vote for it. It's one of my favorite movies. It's my favorite movie on the list of Best Picture nominees. It is my favorite. But what I think what I think is happening, I think there's still a lot of voters in the Academy. I mean, what we're talking about is completely other organizations. Yes, there's a lot of, you know, actors and producers and directors and writers in in the Academy and they make a majority of it. I still think there's a lot of people, like we looked at with the BAFTAs, that look at everything everywhere all at once as being too weird, man. It is so weird. If this wins Best Picture, I will hands down say it is the weirdest, most bizarre Best Picture winner ever. And if everything everywhere all at once wins, it will make a huge significant shift in the kind of films that are winning Best Picture. It is not only an insanely independent film, and I think you could look at like Coda and even some other films back in the day that are extremely independent. But we're talking about like an A24 film going all the way and the whole distance to winning Best Picture. It would be a huge, huge, huge deal. I, I don't even think just based off of that and being such a small production, such a low budget, we've seen that before. But I don't think we've seen any film that comes to how weird everything everywhere all at once is. You know, we're talking about a film with shoving dildos up your butt in order to transport into another dimension with a Bluetooth headset on your side. It's awesome. It's so weird. It's so goofy. I love it. It's great. But you cannot sit there and tell me that an 80-year-old man who just is in the costume design department is going to just be like, yeah, I'm, a, I'm okay with that. I can follow this plot. Like, I have no idea what's happening in this movie right now. It, Like I said, I would love for that to be. It would be awesome. 
I think Everywhere, Everywhere, All at Once is a phenomenal, phenomenal film. And I think it pushes and shows us what cinema can do. The amazing world, the possibilities that we have in the art form. So I love the movie. I think we can even talk a little bit about our own opinions as well. Because I know you saw it again and you thought it wasn't as great as the first time you saw it. So I'm curious of how your kind of opinion has changed on the second viewing. I watched it again with my mom. It was unbelievable. I liked it even more than I liked it the first time and she loved it as well. So all that to being all that being said, you know, I think it still obviously has a good chance of winning, but I really think the vote is going to be split with that film. Maybe we get thrown in with a little bit of Elvis too. We have some of the foreign audience who's voting for All Quiet on the Western Front as well, and it just gets thrown down to the Banshees of Inisherin because it's the second follow-up film. I know it's crazy. Crazy things have happened at the Academy Awards. I'm putting it down. I don't think it can win. I I think that momentum is too much at this point and, and all the other awards. And you say international audience. So I'll argue back with this. A big international audience also loves Michelle Yeoh. This is widely appealing to an Asian audience that if they were to make up a big part of the international voters, probably would lean towards that as well. Not the german-made film but the movie that celebrates asian cinema and has the biggest one of the biggest asian action stars you know a part of it so yeah I, but you know who's not voting in the academy anyone from china so there you go she's but, a chinese but, actress but it's not, very popular it's not just china. china though it's not just well, china look at the baftas where like, she hasn't won the bafta award so there's a british but audience I, but right i said there. To, i said to i you said know? to forget about the baftas you have to forget that is about foreign, that. That is the foreign British audience, and we have no oh, China audience. But I'm talking. Here to I'm talking about her. like other countries in Europe. I'm talking about like India. I'm talking about sure. you know so many other Asian countries, not just exclusively to China, that's voting for this. I don't think you're. I don't think you're crazy, man. I don't think you're crazy, and I think you're crazy for like how like I don't know. I just don't think there's like an upset. Like this is just. I think this is pretty locked in as much as I don't well, want it to talk, be because you're right. Talk to me I, about what I, I said, the points that I said. This is such a weird film. This is by far yeah. the weirdest film that will ever win Best Picture if it wins. And I didn't think it would happen, but it's going to happen. I did not. I know. Like, but talk talk about happens. my points. It does happen. I, but like, why do you think this is hitting people on this level? Why is it that popular? I think it because it is so out there, because it's so, uh, you know, it came out of nowhere and it took concepts that were being used in other popular movies like a multiverse and they expanded it to make this other this like really like well constructed narrative this deeply emotional story and and connection between a mother and a daughter it's it brings back you know an old star in Ki Hui Kwan into the forefront and, and almost like back to revive his career in this in this role that's so like goofy but also is very multi-dimensional i mean the amount of different uh storylines and homages it does to different films across all formats and all different kinds of cinema is pretty remarkable i it's so i can i can understand like why people are so gravitated towards it because it's so different and it just stuck it stuck for an entire year that people are still talking about this movie how many other yeah. movies stick around for an entire year? Not many. You're exactly right. I think I'll also throw out another counter argument is how many science fiction films win Best Picture. And this is 1,000% a science fiction Just one, one in Shape winner. of Water. Yeah, Shape and of Water is the only one. 
and I think even Shape of Water is is yes, it involves a aquatic you know alien, but this film is way more science fiction than that film. It is way more out there. So I just don't. But you I think just because of the, don't uh, see it of the subject matter? I do. I really do. I think because of the just because of the matter, dildos. Literally, just how weird. the dildos part of it. No, I told you, like the whole summation of the film, like talking of dildos, finger hands, licking your hot dog finger hands, uh, a talking raccoon that's on your head, you skit on someone. Everything about this movie is so out there and goofy and weird and just like should not be here. Everything about it to my very core, I feel that way. And I like again, I'll say it again. I love, love, love this movie. It was my second favorite movie of last year. It's amazing. It just does not feel like a Best Picture winner to me. It just does not feel like what the Academy has always leaned into. Even if you look at The Shape of Water as being the only science fiction film, that is a film that is like seeped in classic cinema and cinema techniques. It's made as if it is a film from the early, like late 20s with the, you know, the rise of the Universal Monster movies. It is a nod and it's an acknowledgement to the past as well. And it's very standard filmmaking. Like what you would expect from Del Toro. It's beautiful. It's amazing. But I don't think we've ever seen anything like this. And if we're leaning into everything that's happened and, and you know, there is such a high possibility of this w- winning, I think this will mark a significant change in the Academy and in our history of following Worthy and following the Oscars. So if it does win, as, as you're saying now, there's no other, no other possibility. I, I just, uh, well, I'm the, just saying with, it'll be crazy. But well, why Banshees, though? I, to me, Banshees, like, this entire process and the entire war season, like, I like the movie, but it never screamed Best Picture to me. And, and not but, even once. The only the movies that screamed Best Picture to me were The Fablemans and Elvis. I mean, Elvis, I didn't not think, a chance. <laughs> not a chance. I know it has no chance, but in terms of I the Best Top Picture Gun, winner... I know, I know it's crazy, but like, there's a chance Top Gun gets a lot of votes as well. I know it's insane, but there is a real chance. But I think, I think Banshees, because I think is ever everything's going to be split. I think you're right, where people haven't talked that much about Banshees other than Colin and writing. But I still think that can happen with votes being split, and I think people still remember that as being like, oh, that's a mo- that's a movie's movie, that's a cinephile's movie. It's wordy. You know, it's very dynamic and it's very intense and it's emotional, but it's really just about two characters kind of like battling mainly with their wits. So it does that movie out of anything. Maybe that and Tar screams best picture to me. It does as as a film, as its construction screams best picture. So it's it's a tough one, man. It's a tough one. I I just feel I really just have to. I have to go with momentum. Like just because looking at recent memory, like to me that. Coda last year, that momentum came like it came out at the right time, and it it felt perfect, and it felt like okay, like that is a great choice for it. And what was it, the Power of the Dog? Like no one really knew, but all of a sudden Coda came out. It's like oh yeah, that that makes sense. And Nomad Land had momentum the entire time. Parasite was late to the game. I think in 1917 was the presumptive favorite, but all of a sudden people were talking about Parasite. It won some awards, and all of a sudden it's getting it's getting all the awards, the Oscars. Shape of Water came in late in the game moonlight i mean everyone thought la la land would win and all of a sudden moonlight's getting this love and attention and then it gets it um i don't know i mean even argo like argo came out of nowhere but it was late in the game and then it won all those craft awards 
and those guild awards like i was saying so hey man i, I don't know i just I don't just... i don't think i don't think chaos is as much as like chaotic as this year is i don't think chaos is going to happen in the director of picture category i think it's pretty locked in by this point otherwise i think people would actually revolt i think that's where people would be <laughs> like well fuck the oscars because people would look at it and be like well we've been talking about this one movie that everyone really likes top gun maverick is too i think macho of a movie for people to kind of accept as the best picture winner so they gravitate towards everything everywhere where it's very accessible to all people i mean that like to me like that's just the stuff look that at nomad land think, dude no one saw that movie <laughs> no one's, one's still seen, seen that movie that though year. but no one's seen you know? any of those movies from that year yeah but what still that, that is a great example of like a um, best picture winner that like no one has seen that ended up winning and i think you could look at banshees of inner like not many people have seen that movie but people that know of film and are in the film zeitgeist know about martin mcdonough they know about brendan brendan gleason they know about colin farrell these are huge names so i don't know man i like understand you're you're mr stats guy you're leaning in and and i have throughout the entire awards categories here but there's just something in my gut that like refuses to accept that the academy will do it i just like just don't think they will I would really love to, you know, as much as I'm arguing that it won't win, I would really love for it to win. Like I said, it would really, I would be so happy if I'm wrong, but man, there's just, I got to listen to my gut and I just don't, I just don't feel it still, even though everything is pointing towards it. I just still feel like there's going to be an upset and I don't think people are going to care. They're just going to look at the Academy again being, it's not the movie I wanted. You know, if it, if it does lose, if it does win, then what do people say? It's predictable. Like, I'm glad this movie won because it's so weird. I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't think it really has to say much besides that that movies are relevant to a mass audience. And I think that's, like, the the big thing. And, again, I was like, I said it towards the beginning of this, just that, that I think that's the theme of the night, that movies are back, that movies are relevant, that movies are I will here argue to against that, too. <laughs> Why? You think that's not going to be the the message no, for a lot of it no i think you're totally right about that but in terms of everything everywhere all at once like more people have seen top gun more people have seen elvis more people have seen avatar the way of water you know if you're talking about a, a widely seen film i i don't know man in terms of like the overall gross you can specifically look at the numbers and see how many people have seen this movie and it's still not that many like it's still not that many compared to like a top gun or something as big as like elvis i would be curious to see like even the box office between everything everywhere and the banshees and i assume everything would probably blow it out of the water but i still feel like a lot of people have seen those other movies as well so but I hope that is the messaging of the night that, you know, movies are back, go to the theaters. I hope they really push and lean into that. It would be really cool to see Tom Cruise, like actually on stage talking about everything that's kind of changed and how much he pushed for that. And, you know, just honoring films in the film industry would be great. We'll see what happens. Uh, It's going to be an interesting night. Uh, Any final thoughts on the Oscars for this year, John, before we wrap it all up? Not really, man. I'm I'm excited for boring Jimmy Kimmel, Matt Damon jokes. Uh, I'm not excited for that at all. I really hope we can kind of keep it concise. We can be fast. 
I do love a good lengthy Oscar, but I get why people complain about it being <laughs> over three hours because sometimes they're just skits that are just not funny and they drag out for five minutes and you question why this was even included in the first place. So I hope we we keep it quick and tight. Let the time given, you know, available, allotted, let that be for the presenters and let that be for the people that win. Let's honor these people and let's honor the films because that's what we're here for, baby. What, but what about you, Ben? How do you want to wrap up this bad boy? I think that I'm just excited. I'm excited to see everything. I want to I wanna nail predictions and we'll see what happens. You know, I'll put together my final ballot probably like an hour before. I'll feel like confident <laughs> in, uh, in what I pick. So we'll see what happens. It's going to be an interesting year. It's been an interesting year. Uh, I'm excited to see the ceremony and I'm excited that it's, there's no producer who has like an agenda to prove or anything for it, that they're just letting it become a regular Oscar show. Uh, there's no like awards being cut out. There's no different ways they're going to do it. It brings the categories differently. It's just going to be straight up Oscar uh, night. And I'm very excited for that. So thank you for listening. Thank you for uh, hearing our predictions and our banter. I'm Ben and I'm John and, and this, this is worthy. worthy. Thanks for listening to worthy the breakdown of every Best Picture winner from past to present. You can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out on Instagram at Worthy Podcast, on Twitter at Worthy Pod, and on Facebook at Worthy Podcast. Any inquiries can be submitted to worthysubmissions at gmail.com. Again, that's worthysubmissions at gmail.com.